Ugh, the heat's so dry down here, I'm starving all the time. I could go for a snack. Maybe you can too. Because today's episode is brought to you by Hugh Kitchen. Hugh is a family-founded chocolate and snacking company focused on creating products that match ultra-simple ingredients with unbeatable taste. Built on a strong mission to help people get back to human, Hugh only uses simple, real, and responsibly sourced ingredients. Hugh obsessively vets every ingredient to unite unbeatable taste with unmatched simplicity. They go beyond what is easy and expected to ensure that their products and practices are ethical, and put both humanity and the human body first. All of Hugh's products are gluten-free, dairy-free, refined sugar-free, and are in heavily processed. Use code POD for 15% off your next purchase at HughKitchen.com. That's code POD, P-O-D, for 15% off at Hugh, spelt H-U, Kitchen.com. And find out why Hugh helps people get back to human. <sighs> Something I wish I'd do around here. What's guy got to do to get his soul back? And now, in spite of our better judgment, this is Tele-Hell. It's that time again. I know that cheesy TV movies may seem like a bit of a crutch for us around here, but ever since the boss warned us that we have to fulfill four TV movie reviews in our contract for the season, we should probably nip it in the bud while we can. Since we already covered the first of the four thanks to our blonde Wonder Woman review, this brings us to movie number two in the contract. One that, like many things, has earned a bit of a reputation over the years as one of the best and the worst at the same time. All will be for nothing if we don't heed the rules. Today I begin joining Princess Fancetta. She's the ruler of Enchanta. Our movie of the week this week is a classic tale of boy meets girl, boy kills girl, boy spends years in hiding. One that tries to take elements of existing good horror movies and cheeses it up so much that they try to make a bad kid look even worse. Intellihell. ABC presents Tuesday Movie of the Week. As we mentioned a few times before, our rules are slightly different whenever we look at a TV movie. Partly because of how limited the information can be when it comes to behind-the-scenes stuff. Anything that winds up being a part of our nine circles is based strictly on the plot of the movie and nothing else. That being said, here's what little backstory we do know about today's feature. In 1973, an author by the name of John Vance published a horror tale known as Bad Ronald. Without giving too much away, because we're about to give a lot of it away, it's the story of a latchkey kid whom wannabe artist named Ronald Wilby, 17 years old, spawn of a divorced family, living with his mother, and also going through puberty at the same time. Sigmund Freud would have a field day, I'm sure. Then, things happen that turn him into a deranged maniac. Details that we'll get into in a minute. All those details were enough to turn the book into a surprise bestseller that year. And then, one year later, Bad Ronald becomes a TV movie after production house Lorimar Television and the ABC network scoop up the rights to it. Now to cast it. 
In the lead role of Ronald, an up-and-coming young actor and future Paul Rust look-alike named Scott Jacoby, who already made appearances in a number of low-to-mid-grade theatrical movies, including the Anderson tapes with the late Sean Connery. The part of Ronald's mother was played by one of the great performers of yesteryear, Oscar winner Kim Hunter, best known for A Streetcar Named Desire and several Planet of the Apes movies. And saying that out loud, I'm realizing that's a strange trajectory to take, but whatever. One more noteworthy actor is the guy who eventually moves into Ronald's house for reasons that we'll get into later. He's played by another all-time great, Dabney Coleman, who is probably best known for not just being the boss in 9 to 5 or Principal Prickly on Recess, but also appearing in a wide swath of one-season wonders that are too good to ever place here. Yes, that even includes Drexel's class. Anybody else who appears in this are a bunch of names that I've never heard of before or since, so I'm going to safely assume that anybody else who's in this movie probably did it as a part-time job. With nothing further to add, let's begin. October 23rd, 1974. Gerald Ford tries to clean up the mess that Nixon made two months into his presidency. Dionne Warwick and the Spinners top the charts with Then Came You. And at 8.30, 7.30 Central and Mountain, we start things off with a shot of a multi-hyphenated, nondescript, run-down home that not even the Munsters would want to set foot into. Inside the house, Ronald is blowing out the candles on his birthday cake, which is being observed by his mother and nobody else. It's my favorite, Mother. I want today to be very special. As we see wannabe Norma Bates bent over in some kind of nondescript pain, Ronald fetches her medicine, which I'm sure will be a bit of a plot point later on, but why play the hand this early when Mother can just lay out some good old-fashioned non-denominational guilt? One day, you'll be a famous doctor. But that's ten years away. You keep delaying any treatment. Mother, you should... There are so many incompetents. Of course, when you're away at college... I'll be very lonely. No, dinner was delicious, and you know how much I love chocolate cake. It's so hard to believe that this will be your last year of high school. Well, we both must enjoy it. Well, I'm, I'm lucky to have you to worry about. Hey, come on, we're only two minutes in. Pace yourself. Besides, we have to get out more personal story exposition first. Tomorrow's another anniversary of sorts. Ten years ago tomorrow. Your father and I were divorced. Never could understand why he hasn't come to see me. Well, I, I was entitled to alimony for all the trouble I was subjected to. But I waived it. On the condition your father give up custody and visiting rights. Armin was very excited saving all that money. I don't think he ever cared about me at all. Come to think of it, I don't think Norman Bates got to know his father very well either. But that could just be a coincidence. Ronald opens his presents. First, a toolbox ex machina that, again, I'm sure is going to come into play later. But really, were teens in the 1970s this jazzed to get a toolbox for their birthday? It's incredible. It has everything. Oh, the salesman assured me it was the finest. But you shouldn't have spent so much money. He also gets a set of art supplies so he could live out his true passion of being an artist, which just so happens to be a thorn in Mom's side for some reason. Wow, now I can illustrate my story. I don't want you occupying all your time with those extraordinary visions of fantasy. 
A trend is not fantasy. It's real. You'll see. Well, to be fair, this was the 1970s, and parents weren't as encouraging as they are in this day and age. Hell, if I had a kid, I'd encourage them to follow their talents, not cosplay as Carrie's mother. As we scan past all the unique drawings that Ronald does in his seemingly infinite spare time, Ronald gets ready to go to a friend of an acquaintance's house, and again, much to Mother's disappointment. Where are you off to? Well, I won't be long. I'm going over to Lori Matthews. You shouldn't waste your time with someone who doesn't care. I could make a Donald Trump joke, but we've got January for that. So let's skip it and move on to a high school pool party, where awkward teens got an awkward teen himself straight out of it. Ronald, who do you want? Well, I was just wandering around and I thought I'd come by and see what you were doing. Swimming. Come on in, Ronald. If you can swim, I mean. Or if you can't. <laughs> Would you like to go to the movies? There's a good double feature play. I can't. I'm doing something else. <laughs> joke. See you later, Ronald. Yeah, bye, Ronald. Come back. We can't stay so long. Stay dry. Don't forget to set the uh, gate. From the outside, Ronald. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I remember those carefree days of my youth where I show up to a person's party for exactly 40 seconds, only to be turned away for no discernible reason. Actually, that's me whenever I go to a bar and ask for cranberry juice without the booze. But I digress. As Ronald makes his way home, we come across a little girl on a bike. The two of them cross paths, and once again, we get some awkwardness between youths. Why didn't you get out of my way? Well, I didn't see you. You should watch where you're going, Carol. Sure, I dressed up. Still trying to impress Lori. Well, you should know she only likes football players, and besides, you're weird, Ronald. I am not weird. Yes, you are. And so is your mother. I want you to say you're sorry. I want you to say you're sorry. Let go of me. Say you're sorry. Let go of me. Dwayne's gonna get you for this. Say you're sorry. If by awkwardness you mean accidental manslaughter. Thanks, Satan. I skipped that phase of my teens. Awkward. So, Ronald's in deep shit. And with nobody else to tell his sins to, he tells Mommy Dearest everything. Killed Carol Matthews. She said terrible things about me. Couldn't believe she was dead. It was an accident. I found a shovel, and I buried her. If it was an accident, why did you bury her? That's what the police will ask. Ronald, you've made a terrible mistake. Well, if nothing else, this movie provides a valuable public service announcement. Kids, if you accidentally kill someone, don't go burying the body before the police comes. It may look a little too suspicious to them, and that means some jail time. And nobody wants that. Especially if you drop the soap. And were this a world where the Law & Order franchise was created yet, fessing up should have been what Ronald did. Unfortunately, the movie just started, so how do we work our way around this? We'll have to hide you. Things quiet down. But what if it doesn't work? What if they catch him? Now listen and get a hold of yourself. The police eventually will come around to you. And we don't have any time. Now, if we don't have confidence in each other, you won't have a chance. <sighs> Boy, this movie really wants me to compare itself to Psycho, doesn't it? But it's the movie's fault for playing that hand too early. 
Mother and son try to figure out how this'll work. Ultimately, it's decided that Ronald will be hiding out in the bathroom, thanks to the toolbox ex machina he got earlier. You'll be able to live in decency and cleanliness? You'll have plenty of room? And no one will know. We've got some old plasterboard and some extra wallpaper upstairs. Now take off the door. We'll have to work through the night. We must be careful not to leave any scraps. On this edition of This Old Hiding Place, we're going to take a look at this dilapidated old Victorian home that recently removed its bathroom door and wallpapered over the hole so that it would look inconspicuous as a 17-year-old accidental murderer hides out until the heat dies down. And don't forget to wear your safety glasses. Act 2 begins with the neighborhood detectives going around town and asking questions about the little girl's disappearance. Uh, ma'am, yesterday evening, a young girl, Carol Matthews, was found dead behind the Hastings place. And she was buried in a shallow grave, and we estimate she died between 5 and 7 p.m. the night before that. Now, we know Ronald left the Matthews house around 5 p.m. that night. Did he come home any time around 7? That's absurd. What nerve you have, making such accusations. Well, we're not accusing Ronald of anything. Ronald would never do such a thing. He's a gentle person. Well, do you mind if we look around? Of course I do. But you're wrong. Look around as much as you like. But please, don't mess up the place. So the cops check around and nothing is found. Or that would be the case were it not for Ronald accidentally leaving his ripped coat and a goodbye note in his room. You recognize this coat, ma'am? Well, obviously, you got it from Ronald's room. Well, we found a swatch of clothing coat on a fence near the Hastings house. And it looks like it'll match this tear. And there was a note. Note? Dear Mother, I've done something awful and I'm very sorry to cause you unhappiness. Ronald. We found it in his room. Something I'm noticing about this movie, by the way, the scenes are going on forever. I mean, I've seen some slow motion train wrecks in my day, but the unbearable slowness of some of the scenes in this movie might give the steamroller scene in Austin Powers a run for its money. Which begs the question, how many pages were in the original book? 219 pages. I mean, is the story that light on details that we can't make things move a little faster? We'll find out as we get another plot point thrown in. Today I begin joining Princess Fancetta. She's the ruler of Atranta. She's very beautiful. Your studies are far more important than fairy tales. I know, Mother. Okay, I didn't say it was a key plot point, but one nonetheless that they show for the purposes of passing time. Something that's slightly more important, however, the mother's deteriorating health, and the fact that maybe enough time has passed that she should do something about it. It's also here where Ronald hears a piece of advice that he may soon regret. I also saw Dr. Harris today. He said I had to have an operation on my gallbladder immediately. So I'm going into the hospital tomorrow. I'll be gone just a week. Mother, I'm afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of as long as you listen to me. Now close the door and don't open it until I return. Well, you heard what Mother said. 
don't leave the room until she comes back. Wise words to live by. Except for one thing once we get into an incredibly slow-moving Act 3. I hardly remember the house. It's been such a long time. I can't believe she's dead. It was to have been such a simple operation. Yep. Mom's dead, and Ronald is left to fend for himself. Which, if this were a higher caliber horror movie, could lend itself to some deep-seated psychological trauma for the boy. But here, he sort of gives off this look that all but screams, Aw, nuts. There goes Ma. Very little emotion, very little energy, just Ronald nibbling away at his candy bar. And now, because Mom bit the big one, and the off-screen divorced father wants nothing to do with the house, it's immediately sold off to the highest bidder, but not before Ronald makes a few more holes in the house to get around in. Because who the hell would want to confine themselves to just the bathroom forever and ever? As Ronald continues to do his thing, a realtor shows the house to a future buyer. Mr. Wilby wants to sell the home as soon as possible. Whatever you don't want goes to charity. Wait a minute, I know that voice. Oh they didn't stand on space in those days. Just look at those ceilings. But people should do nice things for their friends, not because they have to, but because they want to. You're not being very good friends. Holy shit, it's Piglet. I mean, he's only in the movie for a few seconds, but it always feels weird to see the voice of a childhood favorite do something that's the complete, total opposite of what you knew him as. We need a new kitchen. The whole place is filthy. Oh, I admit it's a far cry from being immaculate. But it is a bargain. Well, enough nostalgia waves for a second, because we're officially at the halfway point of the movie, which means I have to do something exciting before this movie bores me back to life and then kills me again. We'll see how this Norman Bates ripoff contends with his newfound family. After the break. <laughs> to partner up with Dave's Archives. Dave's Archives is the premier spot on YouTube where you can get your vintage TV fix, including old commercials and original shows covering classic TV and other TV-related pop culture. Here's just a small taste of what they have in store for you. Love that Dagostino, love that Dag, Dag, Dag. Recipe for fun is in the Dag, Dag, Dag. Love those veggies. Enough of this lovemaking. What do you say we eat? So please, Mr. D'Agostino, move closer to me. Mm. Want to check out the rest of it? Go to YouTube and type in Dave's Archives, or you can visit them on Facebook. Again, search Dave's Archives. And now, back to my punishment for the week. Okay, back to the subject. The new family moves in, led by Dabney Coleman, as he and his family ponder life in their new dwelling. Now look, I would, I would like to make a decision today. Yeah, so would I. So, uh, what do you say? Well, I'm for it. I love it. Me too. I think it's a crazy house. Oh, 
What does that mean? Like the houses you see in movies. You watch too much television. You watch too All much the time. television. She's always watching television. <laughs> Look, most of those old Victorian houses had strange reputations, but they weren't deserved. Baths? Maybe there's even a ghost or two. <laughs> right, that's enough. That's enough of that now. Cut that out. So, as we wonder how this has now gone from low-budget horror movie to low-budget family drama, Ronald continues to get by the best that he can, especially with fresh meat in the house to pine over. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Thank you, You're as beautiful as a princess. I'm gonna do my very best to avoid the teenage hormone jokes, but that is the thinnest of promises right now. The family gets accustomed to their new surroundings, but not without questioning the dark, foreboding feeling some of them have about the place, which I think might be a byproduct of just how dimly lit this movie is. It's also here where we find out something interesting about one of the daughter's boyfriends. And I never thought I'd be eating here. Well, why'd you say that? Ronald will be. He lived here before you moved in. So? And? He murdered my sister. That's right, Ben. I, I remember reading about that. This house is evil, just like Bab said. Which gives Ronald the first of a few rage boners to quell through his artwork. In his hidey hole, he's been working on a series of wall-length posters that try to vent out his frustrations. Possibly because Mother didn't have the foresight to buy him a couple Playboys before she died. Oh wait, moms wouldn't do that. Damn you, divorce! Act 4 begins with Ronald sneaking around the house looking for some food, but not before dealing with some unfinished business. In the previous act, the family brings up something that we forgot to mention a few acts earlier. There's a snooping neighbor on the loose wondering what's going on, because it wouldn't be a 70s TV show without one of those lurking about. Fortunately, in the next scene, the nuisance is dealt with through more accidental manslaughter, though to be fair, not through any fault of Ronald's. Nevertheless, even though the neighbor wound up as collateral damage to the situation, Ronald tries to cover up the same way he covered up the first accidental death, though instead of simply digging a shallow grave, he just leaves the corpse under the house. I really hope they invented the air freshener in 1974 because this house is going to need something beyond industrial strength after that. Meanwhile, the new family is starting to catch on that things aren't exactly what they seem in the house. Yeah. Did you hear something break a few moments ago? It scared me to death. I didn't hear anything. Why am I the only one who ever hears anything? Because you're the only one crazy enough to believe in such things. Honey, look, all old houses make noises. Settling and plumbing and wind going through the shingles and all kinds of noises. You understand? I heard glass breaking. I know something broke. Well, but I didn't see any glass on the floor this morning. Just then, a mere 70% of the way into the movie, we get our first concrete evidence that something may be amiss in the house. Ben, you must stop making these nightly raids on the icebox. What? Wait, well, yesterday I hard-boiled half a dozen eggs for the girls' lunches, and now there are only two left. Honey, four. I haven't touched the eggs. Oh, uh, Dwayne must have been here last night, huh? Mother, he didn't eat those eggs. You're always blaming the missing food on Dwayne. It's not that I mean that. I, mean, I just don't think Daddy... Uh, uh, it's a matter of planning. Dwayne's a very nice young man. I like him very much. 
It's not so nice when he talks about that Wilby boy. And speaking of that Wilby boy, we begin to see him embrace his inner Freddie Mercury and starts to go slightly mad. To be honest, I'd go slightly mad too if I were in dirty clothes, on the lam for two manslaughters, and going through puberty at the same time. But that's what they have lubricant in the internet for. Unfortunately, Ronald has none of those things because it's 1974 and the internet doesn't exist yet. Instead, he uses the rest of the spare time to lurk around the house when nobody's there, up to and including spying on the daughter's bedroom and breaking open her diary at the same time, which goes about as well as you think it does. Somebody tried to open my diary. Don't get me involved. You think I tried to get into your diary? I didn't say that. I said somebody. That's all I said. But you mean me! Well, well Alan, I'm not interested in your damn diary! Well, this is no, no these concerns are raised at the most inopportune of moments, because mom and dad are about to go on a trip, leaving the daughters to fend for themselves. A situation that Ronald naturally thinks is a jackpot. Act 5 begins with the youngest daughter returning from tennis practice and her mother checking in on things. Just checking in before dark, we've got another hundred miles to go. Just enjoy yourself and quit worrying about us. We're going to be staying at the seaside inn and I won't call again. We'll be back tomorrow night, late. Okay, have a good trip, and don't worry. And before we go any further, I feel the need to mention this again. But good lord, is this a boring movie. You would think that since this is only 90 minutes long with commercials, the action will be faster paced. I've seen a number of ABC Movie of the Week programs from this era, and a number of them go at a pretty decent speed. Even more so, I know most horror movies are meant to have slow-building suspense. But if the activity here was any slower, we'd have a cure for insomnia. And especially with 80% of the movie now finished and only two deaths that really seem more like unfortunate circumstances versus something like, say, the Saw movies, this isn't exactly thrilling me in the way a thriller should. Unless, of course, they're gonna put it all out on the table in the final 15 minutes. Oh, all right, here we go, something creepy. Good, 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 good start, good start. Uh, as the young daughter goes into her room, she sees a giant, wall-sized illustration of herself dressed as a princess. Great, even better, something right the hell out of nowhere to rattle her. What's next? Not one more sound, or I'll... You'll kill me. No, I never killed anyone. I'm not that kind of person. I'm Prince Norbert, ruler of Atlanta. I know everything. You... You did that? Why? To please a princess. Okay, okay, the creepy kid sneaks into her room and tries to explain everything. Please tell me we got creepy dialogue to go with it. Chant is a beautiful place. You see, Princess Vansetta falls in love with Prince Norbert. Norbert's a fugitive from the land of tyrants. Thanks, Satan, some action. And it only took a goddamn hour to get to. Ronald chases the girl out of the house until the girl winds up in the dead neighbor lady's house where Ronald cuts off the phone lines. Now we're getting somewhere. Wouldn't be a horror movie without somebody making a dumb, impulsive mistake. What other horror cliches can we add? Whistling! A horror movie staple! Keep going, keep going! Jump 
jump scare fake out. Perfect. All right. Where have you been this entire movie? As the sight of a random hanging baby doll escalates things, daughter number two and her boyfriend comes home, just in time for Ronald to make another move. This time, in no forgery. I found this note in her typewriter. Dear everybody, nobody trusts me and I can't stand it anymore. I'm going away for a while. Don't worry, Babs. Well, I guess she did break into your diary. But why would she run away? Well, then I think we should call the police. A thought that gives our repressed friend all the more urge to kill. For real this time. The evil Duke is spoiling everything. The police come, and as is the case in 99% of horror movies, they're as effective as a pair of safety scissors on Jell-O. I've chased maybe 200 girls and left home of their own free will. Well, then why didn't you take any clothes or money? There's no rhyme or reason. When are your parents returning? Tomorrow night. They went up to the coast. They said they'd call and let us know when they're coming home. Okay, just have them give me a call, will you? Aren't you gonna... I think that a good night's rest will settle everyone's mind. Oh, come on. This whole movie's been a good night's rest, save for the past few minutes. If I was any more tired from watching this, I'd use this to put Unisom out of business. Fortunately, the excitement picks up once again, I hope, as we get into the final act. As the youngest daughter tries once again to break out of dead neighbor's basement. All the while, Ronald attempts to make his first official kill by kidnapping the boyfriend and having him tied up in his attic lair. Maybe this'll get the cops' attention. He's disappeared just like Babs. Now tell us what you're gonna do. No calls? Not unless someone called while we were out. Well, we have a few prints. We'll have a confirmation by morning. What if it is Ronald Wilby? There's no reason for him to come back here with his mother dead. Maybe he never left. Ronald Wilby? He'd be picked up in an hour if anyone saw him. Wouldn't you be more comfortable if you spent the night at a hotel? No. And there is stupid decision number two. Choosing to stay in the house where a would-be killer is staying, even though a hotel sounds like a much better option. Kind of makes you wish they added that to that Geico commercial. Let's hide in the attic. No, in the basement. Why can't we just get in the running car? Are you crazy? Meanwhile, Ronald is trying to make his escape while getting his hostage to understand the world that he created for himself. You're an intruder in a tractor. Soon... I will banish you. Okay, dude, seriously. Lube and a hustler, and you'll be okay. I promise. Fortunately, the scuffle between Ronald and the hostage catches the other daughter's attention. And with a mere three minutes left in this movie, this better be one hell of a payoff. As the daughters sneak around the house, one of them notices a random light shining on the wall. That light being one of the many peepholes Ronald made for himself to spy around the house with... Peekaboo! Come on, Climax! Give me something good! ends? Ronald just stumbles out of the house, calls for his dead mom, and gets hauled off? Are you kidding me? What's more, they randomly show the daughter trapped in the basement standing next to the policeman. Any explanation on how that happened? I escaped somehow. Let's go. 
This, folks, is what I would like to coin as a diuretic ending. Something that takes forever to build up, only for excitement to plop out as excrement at the last possible moment. Thus leaving the viewers feeling a little uncomfortable and wishing they could change their pants. At least Dolman Bates wound up with sequels. This schlockfest has long since been swept under the rug, except for a couple places here and there, but I can see why. So, where does this numb slog of an alleged horror movie sneak around in telehell? Let's drill a hole in the walls of our nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. I can see why this movie gets the reputation it's earned over the years, as well as why it has as many fans as it does foes. It tries too hard to be a good horror movie, and considering the source material, it had every chance it could get to live up to it. But because this was a movie of the week from the 1970s, obviously corners had to be cut here and there, and the movie suffers greatly because of it, from how cheaply it was produced to boring the viewer, save for the last 5, 10, 15 minutes or so. Boredom from content aside, there's a lot of misguided things to pick at here. The fact that this is a horror movie and that people get killed in it makes it an automatic mark for violence, even if it is accidental and toned down for 1970s standards. These violent acts, however, ranged in intensity, from purely accidental ones like the one with the little girl and the neighbor lady, to going full-on psychotic by the end of the movie. So you better believe that Ronald has some pent-up wrath to deal with. A rat that would have been quelled if it weren't for Ronald's film-length lusting over the girls who move into his house. The kind that would simply go away if the kid learned how to use KY Jelly once in a while. Of course, the movie's biggest sin is the fact that it's trying to tread on the good names of those who can do movies like this far better than the Movie of the Week people did. Hell, Alfred Hitchcock was still alive in 1974. Who was to stop him from stopping the tale about a boy and his ultimately dead mother trying to cover up various kills? Sure, perhaps Hitch was rich enough to not care about filing any copyright lawsuits, but the parallels between this and Psycho are hard to avoid. So, we gotta dock it for fraud and for heresy. Due to the TV audience not only knowing better than to watch an inferior product, but also do a disservice to the original source material. Bad Ronald earns five out of nine circles of telehell. And thankfully, this also means that we're halfway finished in fulfilling our TV movie contract for the season. For the sake of my sanity, I'm not even going to go near the next one until the new year. But, just so I can get myself mentally prepared for it, I'm just slightly curious what the next one's going to be. John Travolta. My son's not a freak! He'll have to remain in his protected environment. Starring in his first movie for television, a love story for our time. Tina, what'd you run away for? Come back! And forever. I just want to be like a man. When are you supposed to get out? The boy in the plastic bubble. Yep, definitely January there. Fortunately, this next show we cover will help lighten the mood just a little bit. Next time on Telehell. At the tail end of Thanksgiving weekend, we carve into another one of those flightless turkeys that only aired one time. It's touching. Look at me. I've become a dog. It's all sinking in now. It's poignant, but it's life. It's precious life. It's unforgettable. You're a dog. I'm a cop. This is ridiculous. Until then. If it's not in telehell, 
it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Not unlike certain viruses, Telehell is everywhere now. In addition to Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, we can also be heard on Google Podcasts and the iHeartRadio app. Of course, we can also be heard in a number of other places just by Googling Telehell. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and follow our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast. Podcast.